The era of AI is here. ChatGPT has already become a co-pilot for over 100 million users globally. In Asia-Pacific, spending on AI will reach around 50 billion US dollars in 2026. Expanding industry applications of AI provide emerging investment opportunities, and more and more investors want to leverage them. How will startups and tech giants make money from the rise of generative AI platforms? What AI can offer is almost limitless, but the opportunities don't come without governance and ethics risks, which investors need to carefully assess. Welcome to Asia Perspectives from Economist Impact. I'm Bilge Arslan. You are listening to the sixth episode of the series, Shelter from the Storm, Investing in the Era of Uncertainty. In our previous episode, we focused on the impact of a protracted war in Ukraine on Asia-Pacific economies, as well as how investors are adjusting their portfolios to some of the associated geopolitical risks. In today's episode, we are discussing a very popular topic, the opportunities and risks around investing in artificial intelligence, particularly in Asia-Pacific. The podcast series is supported by Equities First. The opinions of our guests are their own, and editorial control remains with Economist Impact. Two guests are joining us today to share their expertise on the topic. William Baobin is Managing Director of Orbit Startups, a startup program in Asia. They focus on sustainability, human health, as well as economic and industrial independence across emerging and frontier markets in Asia, the Middle East, Africa, and the Americas. Their focus sectors include e-commerce, fintech, media, health, education, and logistics. He is joining us from Shanghai. William, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Joining us here from Singapore, we have Arvind Setumadhawan, the founder of the AI Living Lab, a think tank and advisory firm driving responsible, explainable, and sustainable AI. He actively mentors startups and businesses around the world to design and implement scalable innovation and digital transformation programs. Arvind previously collaborated with tech firms such as Google, AWS, and Microsoft to develop AI solutions. He also led the setup of Dansu's first global AI and analytics lab in collaboration with Singapore's Economic Development Board. Great to have you join us today, Arvind. Thank you, Belje. It's a pleasure to be here along with William. Seems like improving customer service, sales, and marketing are some of the most popular ways how companies use AI in the region. For instance, Make My Trip is an Indian online travel company that's leveraging AI to offer voice-assisted booking. AI integration also helps banks with fraud mitigation to better understand where the money is flowing. I want to get more specific about what we mean by artificial intelligence. What kind of technologies are we talking about exactly? What do you think, William? There are two types of firms, companies that are building foundational AI core technology, 
and then companies that are leveraging that technology to solve a problem or attack an opportunity in this space. One thing that we've seen across Asia, especially North Asia or China, is quite rapid early adoption. Just about every company that we work with leveraging the technology to drive competitive advantage. What are your thoughts, Arvind? There are three parts. One is foundational technologies, fiber types, supervised, unsupervised reinforcement, deep neural networks, and generative adversarial networks. These have predominantly been the domain of the big tech players. So you have AWS with SageMaker, Google has announced Vertex, and recently announced uh, Llama 2 by Meta, which is open source. The second is what I call accelerant technologies. These are companies which are using these foundational technologies and areas like NLP. Here you see companies like NVIDIA, Boston Dynamics, and OpenAI. And the third is the application companies and application technologies, which are enterprise solutions like Salesforce, Einstein, Adobe Sensei, and a plethora of startups. I'm curious, from your experience, which specific air technologies and industries are the most promising? Traditionally, AI has been used from an efficiency perspective, largely in the areas of automation. Now, with OpenAI and with ChatGPT, customer experience needs to be redefined. And the way People look at web experiences, app experiences, significantly changing. I recently saw a clip by a company called Air.ai, which was actually a customer service chatbot, which can create around 40 minutes of a conversation with a customer and convinces this person to take a test drive. Oh, a lot of the uh, things that we really focus on are, are boring things that make money. For example, we have a company called Motions Cloud that's active across Southeast Asia as well as Europe, which uses image recognition and analysis to automate insurance claims. So you just point your camera on your smartphone in the app at the wall or at your car, and a number will automatically come out. So this saves a huge amount of time. I'm also interested to hear more about some of the emerging business models companies are adapting. Is this business as usual for them or does it require innovative transformation? I mean, it's an enabling technology. So problems that before were very difficult to solve because of the advent of AI technology have become a lot easier to solve. For example, one is post-production of video. So we backed a company called Videoverse, and they use generative AI to automatically edit video. So the first application, this was actually in sports. They replaced the post-production people in real time editing video clips of the highlights. Huge cost savings and a huge boost in productivity. Can you take this further? I don't know if you ever hung out with a TikToker before. They spend an inordinate amount of time editing the video clips that they shoot. And Videoverse is doing this automatically. You can charge a SaaS service fee for this, or you can give it away for free and then partner with these creators to drive creator economy. And for companies like Videoverse, we're really focused on not charging for the AI, but using that as a way to enable, in this case, bringing new business models uh, such as e-commerce and brand partnerships to these influencers. Interesting. 
Influencers and sports lovers should be closely following AI developments, I guess. AI could be used to edit this podcast as well. Arvind, what do you think? Businesses look at build versus partner versus acquire strategy. A lot of work which we did at Densu was focused on how we build efficiency in our workloads. How do we ensure we use AI to create content faster? Businesses are looking at increasingly partnering and building capability here in the region. Governments are stepping in to provide grants for businesses to set up centers of excellence. I feel it's very important to have that ecosystem mindset. You need to be able to partner with foundational technology partners as well as startups. I feel at least here in the region, very few companies have created a new service line using AI, which actually creates new revenue streams for the business. It needs to have an innovation mindset. It's pretty obvious from our conversation that Many companies are hoping to leverage the latest AI developments to be ahead of the curve, which makes a lot of sense. But they don't necessarily have a long-term plan in mind. I'm just wondering how firms can incorporate promising AI technologies more strategically into their business operations. Data is the fuel of AI. Most firms have a data strategy. But I think very few firms actually have an AI strategy. I work with a lot of global firms. They have a global AI strategy. But when you look at the region here, it's highly diverse. You need to have a regional version of the AI strategy. I see an evolution where the data strategy morphs itself into the AI strategy for businesses. That needs to happen faster. The second is to invest in the game. It is too risky to rely heavily on partners to do the AI work for you. It's very important for businesses to build capability by creating centers of excellence where they have data scientists and data modelers and AI technologists in the business who act as a bridge between the partners and startups to create solutions. Outside partners don't have as much domain knowledge as the people in your business. One of the challenges I keep seeing in the region is businesses struggle to make a business case for investments in AI. William, do you have any other strategies to add to this? Many of the corporates think AI, they have a difficulty making the jump to applying that to their own businesses. This is where we try and come in, bridge the gap between the technology from startups and real world challenges and opportunities that our corporate partners have. Once you have some positive cases, pilots and POCs that lead to commercial agreements, then it becomes a lot easier for these multinational corporations to make that bigger commitment. We generally recommend a step-by-step approach where you get some early successes around uh, specific challenges. You have to balance amazing new technology with sometimes the short-term requirements of the quarterly results. I now want to shift our focus to investments in this space. Where do you think the most promising opportunities lie for investors? We've been running a program for AI startups in Korea, and there's a really great promising technology. There's universities, a huge talent. Their challenge is that a lot of times the science stays in academia. 
And the other challenge is that Korean startups can't just serve the Korean market. It's too small. They need to go regional and potentially go global. We're also quite bullish on India. I mentioned earlier Videoverse. They're based in LA, but they came from India. And the company is one of the global leaders in generative AI around video. One of the biggest obstacles for many innovations is that R&D stays in labs or universities. I'm curious to hear more about how you tackle this issue for the AI technologies currently. What we do as early stage investors, we invest, we have a program, so we create a pathway for academics to become entrepreneurs. When you take an academic and try and bring them into startup land, which to them looks very much like chaos, sometimes they lose their footings. So what we do is we bring in not just the academic talent, but also business talent to come up with real solutions that clients and customers are willing to pay money for. There's this opportunity on the investment side to become this bridge. The podcast series Shelter from the Storm, Investing in the Era of Uncertainty, is supported by Equities First. A word from our sponsor. Equities First is proud to celebrate 20 years of pioneering progressive capital. We provide access to liquidity in 33 equity markets at favorable terms, while our partners retain 100% of the equity upside appreciation. Your interests are aligned with ours for the long term. Equities First is your solution for redefined financing. For more information, please visit equitiesfirst.com. Going back to my question, which Asia-Pacific countries do you think provide the most promising opportunities for investors, Arvind? China clearly is the big one. It's the manufacturing capital of the world. So efficiency is going to be key. A lot of the Chinese companies, they are building solutions all the way from foundational technologies going into application. If you look at Baidu Brain, they have developed Kunlan, which is actually a cloud-to-edge AI chip, which they claim outperforms NVIDIA's latest T4 GPU. Korea is definitely a market. There's a lot of potential. There is a lot of talent. I've been a part of an event called the AI Summit for the last few years. I was moderating a panel where we had a public sector company, POSCO, the largest steelmaker. Then we had a private sector company, the conglomerate CJ, which is into retail, food, etc. It is really, really fascinating to see how POSCO was using AI. Their furnaces are at temperatures of about 2,000 degrees centigrade. So they have sensors, track performance, and send early warning. They manage railroads to transport their steel. So they are heavily into autonomous driving and using AI for that. And CJ uses a lot around packaging design for their food products. Footfall, using facial recognition, understanding people's movements and how to place products. India is slightly more tilted towards the public sector, how AI can help in the area of smart cities and creating digital twins and early warning signals. The AI spending might potentially lead to a major rally in tech stocks and the rise of a tech bull market. Do you think the markets are experiencing a hype stage? I think it is less of a hype this time because there is serious monetization and business benefits coming from AI. 
If you look at the investments since 2013, corporate investment in AI has gone 13x from 18 billion to 276 billion. And more than 50% of businesses, as per a recent MIT Technology Review report, have already implemented AI in at least one division here in Asia. You know, hype is usually when you have a lot of promise, but not a lot of profit. We're seeing so far the opposite, where companies are able to monetize because they're driving so much value to the customers with this transformational technology. Most VCs, they go in herds, they chew the grass down to the brown dirt. We are probably seeing a bit of a hype here so that you'll see the valuation start to go up. But there are people spending because the value of the solutions coming to market that are AI-driven are really changing things uh, significantly. Seems like AI is here to stay. A recent article in The Economist talks about two driving forces of AI innovation. On the one hand, startups backed by venture capitals, and on the other, existing technology giants. What is the role of these different players in shaping the AI ecosystem in the region? I think actually it's a symbiotic relationship and the big technology giants have serious startup acceleration programs across all stages. If you look at AWS and Google Cloud and the amount of uh, free credits they offer for these startups to support is immense. And that benefits them because as they become big, they stay customers of their respective solutions, not just early stage startups, but the relationship which say Google Cloud has with Grab or AWS has with Netflix. And now it's helping them transform the business, embrace AI. AI has become a big part of how they look at their data, manage their customers and provide recommendations. Governments are also playing an important role in how they build this relationship and make them succeed. So here in Singapore, I see the government actually stepping in on skills exchange programs and the big technology players are involved as well. Advanced digital skills gap in the region is one of the issues that we are seeing in the research we do at Economist Impact. Seems like big tech companies are taking a step to help solve this issue. Now I want to turn to chip production. NVIDIA is perhaps the most famous chip producer. It's become the first chip designer whose valuation hit the $1 trillion mark, joining the ranks of tech giants such as Microsoft and Amazon. Coming back to Asia-Pacific, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company is also key in the global advanced AI chips market. But tensions between China and Taiwan can potentially hinder the development of AI technologies by disrupting supply chains. What are some of the considerations investors need to keep in mind? How can they hedge themselves against possible risks, such as geopolitical tensions? I feel that the risk of geopolitics is less relevant. TSMC, earlier this year, spent about $40 billion on Arizona Fabs, a facility in the U.S., so increasingly what's going to happen is there is going to be a decoupling of um, this 90% of the chips being done in Taiwan. So governments and countries are hedging their bets to de-risk themselves. I think the biggest risk for investors is the risk of data privacy. So they need to integrate 
the startups which they are working with, where do they get the data from? From your experience working with businesses, Armin, do you think that they are aware of data privacy risks? Unfortunately, not to the extent which they need to be aware here in the region. In the West, it's a lot more prominent. I think GDPR was an eye-opener for businesses. Here in the region, I see a very fragmented approach, which is more reactive, but that is slowly changing. One of the challenges we've seen is that when GDPR came out, the big internet firms used this as a tool to scare advertisers away from smaller competitors and create a, a virtual hegemony or a duopoly in the market with AI. There is a potential for smaller companies, startups, even traditional multinationals to level the playing field. Hopefully, we can solve the privacy challenges such that the bigger internet companies do not use privacy as an excuse to reduce a competitive environment. Would you add other risks, William, for investors and businesses? We believe that the internet and software side of things is going to be a huge opportunity. You're seeing the rise of orders on the hardware side, but now we need to catch up on the revenue side to pay for all that server power and all that processing power. In the end, we need to drive real businesses with positive unit economics. In most of the Asian markets outside of China, there's not that much venture capital investment. On one side, it's risk. On the other side, a huge opportunity for an investor. Really big returns are made when the existing structure of the market is changed. AI has the potential to change the market. Emerging technologies don't come without risks. Singapore established AI Verify, an AI governance testing framework. It serves as a voluntary self-assessment for now. How should investors think about AI governance risks? I mean, many countries need to do substantial work to prepare their legislation for this disruptive transformation and encourage responsible AI. Let's start with you, William. Just relying on regulators is generally not what we believe the best approach is. They are part of the story, but it takes all the stakeholders in the industry to make sure that you don't get potential abuses or improper use of the technology or people's data. Arvind? Yes, I absolutely agree. I think, if anything, businesses need to take greater ownership on developing responsible AI. For any AI solution, it starts with a human who creates it, implements it, and it's very easy for a lot to figure out who can be held responsible. The success of AI Verify is dependent on the organizational users who are creating AI solutions saying, I want to apply this on a day-in and day-out basis. What I've found in a lot of conversations I've had is that AI governance is like a corporate social responsibility initiative which sits within the boardrooms. But when you actually look at the people who are working with the data, they don't really think much about responsible AI. They are tasked to deliver the best model for the business. All of that will start if businesses embrace responsible AI more as something which is a must-have and not something which is just good to do. Thanks both for all your great insights. This was very interesting to hear. Just want to ask whether you have any final thoughts to share with the audience. 
AI is not an industry. It's an enabling technology that can drive real transformation, both in traditional industries as well as online. We're seeing a huge change in everything from e-commerce to media, to human resources, to the future of work and hiring and training. We think it's a huge opportunity. That said, you don't want the large companies, the big internet companies, to use it to continue to maintain their monopoly or duopoly. We hope to see continued innovation and AI can help drive innovation and a competitive market. So there needs to be a balance both on the privacy side, on the regulation side, but also making sure that this technology becomes a force for competition, innovation, and for positive change. Thanks so much for having me. One of the focuses I propagate with the AI Living Lab Toll is about pushing the human plus machine rhetoric. For too long, it's been human versus machine. It's time for businesses and leaders to start embracing how artificial intelligence can augment the workforce they have to make things better for the business as well as for society. I like to actually call it augmented intelligence, where every person performs better at their work. Business leaders should use artificial intelligence to give time off to their employees. As with everything in life, there will be good actors and bad actors. It's the responsibility of business leaders, public sector, government to propagate the good actors, it's about making sure that AI is democratized to be accessible to everyone. Thank you for having me over. Really enjoyed the conversation. That's all we have time for today. Thank you, Arvind and William, for sharing your views and insights. And thank you to our listeners for spending time with us. The series is supported by Equities First and is part of Asia Perspectives from Economist Impact. If you have any feedback or questions about this podcast or any work from Economist Impact, email us at asiaperspectives at economist.com. Please make sure to subscribe so that you receive updates when new podcast episodes become available. From the editorial team at Economist Impact, thank you for listening.